0: cornerstone is today. So Josh is taking the older kids and the younger will go with Chris and Amelia. And, and you going to Jesse? Okay. All right. Hey, today we're going to turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. That's our text to will be reading today. 1 Peter chapter 2. And as you turn there and prepare for the reading, I got a question for you. The question is this. Have you ever wondered what it would be like to walk in someone's steps i mean i begin to think about that and i think is it even possible that you can walk in someone's steps so as i'm thinking about that i thought well i'll ask for a volunteer And roger thank you for volunteering come on up here roger Yeah, roger didn't know he's going to volunteer for this next activity but it's it's harmless roger okay i'm gonna let you be the leader and i'm gonna follow you i'm gonna try to follow your steps okay How am I doing? Am I doing doing pretty good? Well, you're taking me back up here. This is where I belong? (laughs) Okay, Roger, thanks for playing. All right, so how did it look? Was I walking in Roger's steps? Could you really tell if I was or not? I mean, I was following him in some sense, but was I literally walking in his steps? We couldn't really tell, could we? I mean, when you begin to think about walking in someone's steps, It's hard to see. I mean, we're just walking along the carpet here in front of you, and I'm following him. Yes, I'm trailing him as he's leading me. But I got thinking about how we can maybe really tell if we are walking in someone's steps. So I got to think about, well, you know, when the beautiful snow begins to fall, and there's this coating of snow over the ground, maybe three to six inches, and when someone is walking in the snow, what do they leave? They leave their tracks. So when you're walking behind someone, if we had a bunch of snow up here, and I'm following Roger as he's walking, I mean, it might be that I could almost walk in his steps. But then I recognize even when there's snow on the ground, and I'm trailing him, following him, I'm still having difficulty walking in his steps because, well, in case you didn't notice, Roger's a little bit taller than I am. And so his stride may be different than mine, and... The fact we may even have different shoe sizes, which is highly probable, still becomes really still, even when there's tracks laying on the ground, it still becomes difficult to actually walk in someone's steps. So I asked another question then. As we think about today, we're going to turn to Second Peter, I mean 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're going to learn then that Peter's going to talk about walking in steps, and more literally, he's saying follow the steps. We're going to follow the steps of our Lord. But then I got thinking further about how we're going to read the scripture and talk about following them steps. Does it literally mean that I must follow his steps, like in his literal steps? Or is it figurative? And we're going to answer that question and talk about that a little bit today as we turn to 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 is not a lengthy reading at all. We're going to capture just the last five verses of that chapter in chapter 2. So we're going to be reading verses 21 through 25 of 1 Peter chapter 2. So stand with me this morning if you're able to do so as we simply stand to honor the reading of the word. And it says this, that Peter is writing, and he says, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. For you were strained like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Father, Lord, we do thank you for the reading of your word. And today, Lord, we want to pay heed to the message you've given for us to hear today. As we talk about following people, Lord, and following steps, I recognize and pray today, Lord, that all of us would see But there's truly one person. We follow a lot of people in life, Lord. But I pray we would all recognize today if there's any one person in this life that we should choose to follow, it would be Jesus. The Lord lead and guide and direct us here today to receive the message you've chosen for us to have here this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, upon reading that text and any passage really in the Bible, I think it's always best to start with the understanding of the contextual situation that is prompting any author of the Bible that we're looking at and examining, what is prompting them to write these words. So in this case, we find that we're in Peter. So obviously Peter is writing these words, and you know, Peter is the disciple that sometimes I admire most. Why? Because Peter is the one who seems to lead the other disciples. I mean, Peter's the one that maybe I can relate to at times because Peter will often be brash and kind of quick. And sometimes he just inserts his foot in his mouth. And I can relate to that at times. I mean, I've gotten in trouble many times with my wife over a comment I may have made. She says, it's not exactly what you said. It's how you say it. So I can relate to Peter at times. But here now here's Peter who is has now grown, who's writing this letter, it Is called an epistle, but now he's writing this letter to provide encouragement to believers who have been scattered abroad because of severe persecution by the Roman Emperor Nero. Now some of you may have heard of the Roman Emperor Nero, but in case you haven't, I mean, he was a ruthless ruler of Rome who blamed the Christians for a fire that swept through Rome in about A.D. 64. Now, while Nero blamed the Christians, many initially believed it was Nero himself who actually instigated and started the fire that swept throughout Rome because Nero was all about himself, and he really wanted to build his city. So he had some people to start the fire, but as it went awry, he actually realized that people were upset as it happened. He didn't get to build his city. So as everybody was looking to what happened, he quickly passed blame to the Christians. Well, as they passed blame to the Christians then, everybody around Rome was looking upon the Christian people in a different light and looking at them thinking that they were despised wicked people. So the Nero, who was again all about himself, tried to capitalize now upon the blame pertaining to the Christians who started the fire and wanted to capitalize upon the resentment and and the people who despised the Christians and began to have severe persecution to them. Now, when I say severe persecution, I really mean for those Christians under the time of the Roman Emperor Nero was true, severe persecution not anything that I would ever hope that any of us would ever face in our lives or the lives of our children and grandchildren, but when they were facing persecution, he was burning them alive. He would have animals that he would capture and would not feed them for days or weeks, and then feed the Christians, literally to the animals. That was severe persecution that these people were facing. So Nero then is the emperor during this particular time that Peter is writing this, this particular epistle, and so what Peter is trying to do is provide encouragement in this letter to believers then who, because of the persecution, have been scattered throughout Asia. In fact, it tells us in First Peter chapter one, verse one, as you begin the epistle, it says he's writing the letter to to believers scattered abroad in Pontus, Galatia. Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. But he's doing that again to all these people to get them to be encouraged. And within the letter then that is basically meant to encourage these particular believers scattered throughout Asia, we look upon the last five verses, a small segment of this letter if you will, and find five verses that was meant to encourage them that also can help us in our life. And he's trying to tell them through all that's happening to you, stay firm, remain in your faith, and follow the Lord Jesus. Which then introduces for us our central theme for today. The central theme sounds quite simple. Follow the steps of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. It almost sounds incredibly simple. But we go back to the question. Can we really do this? Follow the steps of our Lord or literally follow the steps of anyone? Again, is it, like we mentioned in the introduction, is it literal, or is it meant to be figurative? Now with that, I was thinking about the time that Sheila and I went to Israel. We went to Israel, and we were often walking upon all the various terrain that Jesus once walked upon. Yes, it's absolutely positively true that many years have passed between the time that Jesus walked around in Jerusalem in Israel, in the time that we did, and true enough, many the landscape has changed between then and now. But I vividly recall the moment that we walked upon the steps leading to the south side entrance into the walled city. Now the barricade was set up on the south side as we walked upon the steps so we couldn't actually walk into the city from the south side. But I remember the tour guide telling us as we walking up these steps into the south side, if the barricade was not there and we could have went in, I remember the guide telling us, walking on those steps, on the south side going in, that those were the original steps to the city. Which meant then that Jesus, he would walk from a northerly direction, walking into the temple or walking into the walled city when he was walking on those steps, we were literally walking on the same steps that Jesus walked on many years prior to that. Again, a lot has changed between then and now, but with those the guy telling us those original steps, that was quite interesting to think that I was walking in an area on some steps that Jesus once walked on. it's an amazing feeling. But then I recall and begin to think about the message here and I think, well, While that may be kind of cool, and while a trip to Israel may allow someone to walk upon steps or terrain that Jesus once walked, does that mean I'm really walking in his steps? I mean, while I may be walking on those particular steps into the city, am I really walking in the steps of Jesus? And I answer and I say not necessarily. I When we begin to think about it, walking on steps in Jerusalem or any terrain for that matter in Israel does not equate to truly following walking in his steps. So then we must ask ourselves, well, what does it mean? When Peter is saying to these believers, again, they're being severely persecuted, when he's telling them walk in, follow his steps, what does it mean? How can we apply this? Well, today we expand and explain. And I find there's two things that we must really do, at least two things, probably more than two, but at least two primary steps that we must take to follow his steps. And here they are. Number one, make every step count. Every step we take should be counted towards the love of God and of his son, Jesus. We'll expand in just a moment. But secondly, it also means that we should walk the suffering path. Make every step count and walk the suffering path. Let's expand upon each of these. Again, the first one is to make every step count. Now observe this, then in Jesus' day, there was no means of rapid transportation. I asked, who this morning walked to church? Anybody walked to church this morning? I'm looking for a show of hands. Anybody walk across the street, walk here? Jeannie, did you? You live closest. <laughs> but today, what, did, what means of transportation did you use? Jeannie lives right across there. What means of transportation did you have across that grass? Did you walk or did you drive? Today she drove. But a lot of us do not drive or do not walk anywhere anymore. But in Jesus' day, what did he do? He walked. And he walked, and he walked, and he walked some more. I mean, in all the scripture I've ever read throughout the entire Bible, there was two times I can remember where Jesus did not walk. One of them is when he took a boat across the Sea of Galilee. All right? Now, he can walk on water, but that moment he took a boat across the Sea of Galilee. The other time I can remember Jesus not walking through reading the scriptures, is when he went into Jerusalem during the triumphal entry on a colt or a donkey, whatever you prefer to use, all right? Other than that, he walked, and he walked, and he walked. No modern means of transportation at all. No car, no truck, not a plane, not even a bicycle. My son Tyler decided it would be worthwhile to go from Mount Pleasant, Texas, to Portland, Oregon, which is going to take a long trip to get there, from Texas to Oregon, he decided he would bicycle all that distance of going from Texas to Oregon. It took him 32 days to get there. He'd go approximately 100 miles a day just to get there. What would Jesus have done? He didn't have a bike. So if he was going anywhere, he would have walked. The only son of God came into the world, and he walked, and he walked among sinners. Nearly everywhere that Jesus went was by a simple means of getting there, of walking. You know, I think about walking, I realize walking is like lost its glory. If there was any glory associated with walking, it's like it's gone. I mean, yeah, we... May walk a little bit to exercise, but walking for the most part is seldom done because we use a better means of transportation. And that really is sad because if you ever notice as you walk, unless you got some iPhone and some earphones and stuff plugged up to you, I mean, you're probably thinking as you're walking. And sometimes you're thinking as you're walking, you start thinking about things in life, I mean, like relationships in your actions, and your words, but maybe particularly having heard a message like this, you have to begin to think about your relationship with Jesus. But nobody really walks so much anymore. I mean, when we're walking, we walk to the car. We walk to the truck. We walk to the plane. That's all the distance we really walk anymore, unless we're exercising. But maybe walking should be emphasized, because stating the obvious, Walking is an action, an action word really that means simply placing one foot in front of another. So really then to walk speaks of movement and progress. And similarly similarly then, that's the way we should begin to think about it pertaining to our spiritual walk. There should be some progress, there should be some movement. It should not be stagnant. When we talk about walk, we need to have our minds to to begin to thinking about not literally walking now, but having a spiritual walk in our life. And there should be some progress. There should be some action. There should be some movement. So begin to ask ourselves then, are we making progress in our spiritual walk in our life as believers? I mean, if not, do we need to make every step count? And then how can we make every step count? How can we make progress in our spiritual walk? Well, there's two things I want to provide for you that might help. Number one is this. That you simply stop and think about your journey in life and the footsteps that you make. Is your step in line with your talk? We've all probably heard the expression, and may have even said it before, you can talk the talk but can you walk the walk? Which means then that we must have our walk and our talk in alignment. Now I admit then that I'm not perfect, and none of us are. I mean, we're just simply not perfect people. But that means then neither were the disciples. But recognizing disciples, I mean, I also see that they spent three years learning from the Master. They were with Jesus for three years learning, applying, and doing. So as I think about the disciples spending three years of our Lord and how that helped them with their spiritual walk, I think about how much time do I or do we spend with Jesus on a daily basis because if the disciples give three years of their life to the Lord, how much time are we giving to Jesus? I mean, honestly, at times, We struggle for three minutes for Jesus. They were for three years learning and applying. And and sometimes we're there for three minutes. So I ask myself, is that enough? And could it possibly reveal that three minutes per day is not near long enough? I mean, the whole point here we're making is to think about your journey, your time. Make your footsteps count. The second thing is this, simply ask yourself, what then do my steps teach others about God and or my relationship with God? Do your actions make a positive impact? Are they godly? Do your actions and your words reflect Jesus and his love? I mean, as a child of the king, and every one of us are children of the king, they're supposed to. Reflect His goodness, His mercy, His grace, His love. Every step we make should reveal something about our Lord. In fact, every step we take does reveal something about our Lord and our relationship with us. I mean, it could be that our steps are precisely revealing what we think in our lives of our relationship with Jesus. The problem is. It might not just be what we think it is. As yes, each step reveals or exposes something in our relationship with our Lord. I mean, do we walk a thin line nudging the edge of compromise? Do we recognize that others are watching us? And do we make a compromise in a certain situation? We we'll take a child into a movie and it says that anybody under the age of 12 can get in free, but, I mean, Micah, he looks like he's hes actually 12, but he looks 13 or 14 or 15. And so do we make a compromise and say, hey, just go ahead and go on in and we'll make it all right when we should be paying for admittance based upon his age or something. I mean, there's times that we're making a compromise and people are watching that. Do we... Do we Walk a thin line of nudging the edge of compromise, or are we content just simply being in the middle of the road? Do we like being the middle of the road Christian, where no one knows where we stand upon a particular thought or belief, or even knows about our faith? How many of us have our neighbors to know that we're at church this morning? Do our steps consistently follow Christ, leaving no doubt to others? Where we stand. I mean, the bottom line really is this that we may think that our step, that our walk is fine, but if we ask a true friend and the true friend tells us it's maybe not lining up correctly, don't be mad at the friend to be thanking them for how we've now realized that maybe it's not in alignment with what we talk and what we walk. Maybe the overarching point then is this that if you are truly walking, In Jesus' steps, your eyes will be fixed on the one who said, follow me. And others will see that about you. If it's truly in alignment, they're going to see that about us. Again, our first point that we're making here is that we should be living the life where we're making every step count. Franklin Graham, Billy Graham's son, has written a book recently or a few years ago that's what it's like to walk in his father's steps. I mean, Billy Graham, everybody knows Billy Graham and for all the goodness that he did. And then Franklin Graham, his son, now has wrote a book on what it's like to walk in his father's steps. The book's actually called Through My Father's Eyes. But in the book, Graham has a chapter that's called What Step to Take. Which step to take? That's a great question for all of us to ask, which step to take. And then we need to be prepared in advance to know that what step we're going to make, what step we're going to take when the temptation surfaces in our life. It's not if it's going to surface, but when it does surface, what step, what action will we take? So Graham asked a question, which step do I take? So in his book, he utilized an expression about a friend. A friend is nameless in his particular illustration. And he speaks about his friend who has struggles giving in to temptation. Here's what he says. He says his friend keeps one foot in the world and the other foot in the faith, the middle of the road Christian, always falling back on God's grace. And his friend expresses that he knows he is forgiven, but has a wish or desire that he could overcome. That's the words that he used in describing his friend. Again, his friend is nameless, but we ask the question, hearing that, can we relate to this friend? Do we sometimes get in a particular position where we're middle of the road, we're wavering on the edge of our faith, falling to some particular temptation? Because if this is the case, maybe we need to hear the message today and realize that our actions and our words must be in alignment and make every step truly count. Must think about our actions. Think about what we're about to say, because we need to pause long enough. Just simply pause long enough when the temptation begins to surface. Pause simply long enough to consider the misdirected footsteps that will lead us into cave in the temptation and put us in a ditch. That can simply happen too off, too soon, too quick. I mean, the temptations will come. And when they do, do not let it lead you down a path diverted from God. The point is to stay in step with Jesus. What does it mean to follow his steps? It means live a life making every step count. And secondly, we said it also would mean this, to walk the suffering path. I mean, I admit to you, I do not like to have any kind of suffering. I am extremely blessed and extremely glad that I am a man never giving birth to a child. Because I don't literally know if I can handle it. I mean, to me, that is some kind of suffering and pain I don't ever want. So women, I admire you for having to go through that. But when it comes to pain, when it comes to suffering, I recognize that we do anything we possibly can to avoid pain and suffering. In fact, when I begin to have some sort of allergy or cold, like I'm having now with some of these allergies, I can't stand to take medicine. But because I hate having allergies and what they do to me, I will take allergy medicine really quick because I don't want to experience anything that makes it negative for me in my body. If I have a headache, I'll quickly take ibuprofen to get rid of the headache because I can't stand the pain. I'm not telling you I'm weak and have a low threshold of pain. Don't misread me. But Sheila does have a higher threshold of pain than I do. And and most women do, you're right. And so I will take some medication because I don't want to face any pain and suffering. So again, we'll do anything we possibly can at times, if you're like me, to avoid some pain and suffering. Even in loneliness, I recognize that we at times will make ourselves busy. So we would not have to have any suffering, depression from being lonely. We just want to avoid anything particular to suffering. But then we must remember, as we bring that to mind and bring it to life, we must remember Peter is writing to a people group who are suffering greatly. Many people have lost someone very close to them, family members and friends. And they're suffering on many levels. In fact, they're suffering both mentally and physically. And as we begin then to think about our suffering, our pain, it actually pales in comparison to the people that Peter is writing to. Now, that's not to diminish any pain or suffering we may be having here this morning if anything has happened, but in their situation, when they've lost a friend or loved one because they've been burnt to death, Are faced with the animals tearing their body apart. I mean, things that we experience are pale in comparison. But in whatever the case may be, we what was telling us is that we need then to reflect a witness that we are willing to walk the path of suffering, especially when it comes to the name of Jesus Christ. Whatever we may have to suffer in our life for being a Christian, we must be willing to endure, and to take the suffering. I mean, I hope and pray none of us will ever face an extreme test of faith that these people that Peter is writing to is facing. I hope we will never, ever have that in our time of day. But I do recognize it does happen in this world still today. Maybe not to that degree and extent, but it still happens. I get a newsletter called The Voice of the Martyr. And every time I get that newsletter, typically sent by email, I read it and two things generally happen. Number one, I become very saddened about the person I'm reading about and how they become maybe a martyr that their friend is now letting me know about. I become very saddened by what's happened to them and I simply pray real quickly for them. That's one thing that happens when I get it, but the second thing is this. I begin to feel extremely blessed that I live in a free country such as ours. And we we take our freedom for granted, which means we are currently still in our country. Things have changed, but we're currently still in a position to be free to express our faith. Sheila had a message with the children to let them know no one can stop you from praying. Now, they might tell you in school you can't, but as a child, and maybe that teacher can't pray with you, but as a child, a student, in school, they have every right. They can pray. So right now in our country, we still have the freedom, the liberty to express our faith. But how many of us do it? I mean, there's volumes of books that are written about how to share your faith. And the most often repeated, reported reason that people don't share their faith is because of some kind of fear. Fear of sharing our faith exists on many different levels, I many different types. But if one of the fears is a persecution because we think we may have some suffering if we share our faith, then we need to rid ourselves of that fear and heed the point because what this point is telling us is that we must be willing to walk the suffering path. We must be willing to walk The suffering path. It's just part of being a Christian. And there will be times of suffering and some pain for our faith. What I'm saying really is this, that we must be so closely walking in Jesus' steps that if Jesus was here right now, walking step by step on his way to Calvary, if if he was here walking on his way to Calvary, then we would be right alongside him. Marching then to the same thing to happen to us, to happen to him. If he was here right now, ready and willing to bear the cross as he did for you and me and for every person, we should be right there next to him, ready to pick up that cross and march to the same position that he put himself in. We must be willing to endure the suffering. So I asked myself, then, you know, well who is willing to go to the foot of the cross for Jesus? And the answer is that every one of us should be. Every one of us should be willing to go to the cross for Jesus as he went for us. To walk the path of suffering. Is it easy? No. But is it necessary? Yes. Yes, if we truly want to walk in his steps. If we truly want to walk in the steps of Jesus, we must recognize we'll have to walk the path of suffering. Now stop and pause and think about it a minute. We, you know, we do walk certain steps. We do follow certain people. The people we often follow are people who are celebrities. I mean, the athletes, the entertainers. We do anything we possibly can at times to be like them. I mean, whether it's the clothing, the perfume, the actions, the words, we sometimes do things to emulate them and to walk or follow their steps. I recognize sometimes we do that. But theirs is a kind of walking that can greatly mislead us. Walking in celebrity steps can position us well off the road that we should be traveling with our Lord and Savior. Steps that chase after fame and acclaim do not mark the steps of a true servant of God. Nor do they mark the walk of someone who is walking the footsteps of Jesus. So what I'm saying then is this, that the most important steps that we should ever take in our life is those that we are placing in step with Him, with Jesus. Even when it requires some steps of suffering for His namesake and we must be willing to take those steps. Many don't or simply won't. Many people are just satisfied chasing whatever the latest and greatest it is in society. But I recognize this, that chasing the latest and greatest or chasing the culture means we're following trendsetters instead of leading culture to the cross. The fact is the world will never recognize us as Christians if we're following the world. Also, the fact is that Jesus promised that if we follow his steps on earth, we'll follow his steps in the life to come. Overall, I recognize a big dose of reality, recognizing that one day we're going to have to pay. We're going to have to tell Jesus all about the things we've done. There's going to be a big dose of reality that one day we must swallow the fact that he is coming again. Christ will return the first time he came to save. The second time he's going to come to judge. Are you following the steps? Literally or figuratively, are you following his steps? Because when he comes again, he's going to look upon you. And when he looks upon you, will he recognize you as being one who truly followed him? Following his steps? Or we look upon you and say, away from me, like he did in Matthew chapter 7, verse 23, he says, away from me, the part I never knew you. I mean, today, take a step for Jesus. Truly begin to follow him. Follow him. Follow the Lord. A final comment once more from Graham. He tells us this in his book. He says that Jesus cared enough to die for us before we were born, and he did. It should be important enough, remember, and it should make a life-changing impact on how we walk through life and into eternity. It should make an impact on how we walk through life. Follow the steps of Jesus. Peter's encouraging his believers, he, he, he's, he's begging them to follow the steps of Jesus. And we should do the same. We should take the best step of our life and walk to him. Father, Lord, thank you for this message and the time that we can spend together receiving your word today, Lord how it points us to how we need to examine our walk in in life, Lord. I pray for all my friends here, Lord, all my family members in front of me, Lord, my church family here, Lord. I pray for everyone today. And would you take a moment to reflect upon our walk in life. If we're having one action, some words, Lord, some sort of behavior that is not in line with you and what we profess to be our faith. And I pray, Lord, we make a change here and now that we, Lord, our actions and words would draw people to you. I pray, Lord, we follow you with all of our heart. So, Lord, thank you for this message today and thank you so much for taking our place upon that cross. I pray that, Lord, that any of us today would be willing to walk that walk with you to the cross. Lord, you don't ask that of us. But yet, I pray that we're willing to follow you in your steps. Lord, thank you for taking our place upon that cross. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.